surgeon about to perform his first surgery, everything he'd been training for. Weeks uh, before the operation, he started kind of going through it in his mind, going through it in his books, going through everything. He, he checked the test results again and again, looked at the x-rays and everything else that they'd done. Uh, he, he did everything that he could to be prepared for this thing. At night, the week before the surgery, he would even fall asleep going through the surgery in his mind. The day of the surgery, he goes into the room and there's the patient waiting. He sits down, he grabs the patient's hands, he closes his eyes and he takes a deep breath and he says, don't worry, Paul, it's not a big deal. A few cuts here and there, it'll all be done in an hour. And then tonight... You can rest, you can watch the game, and you can forget all about this. The patient looked a little confused, and he said, "Um, Doctor, my name's not Paul. And the surgeon opened his eyes and said, Oh, I know, I was just talking to myself. How do you feel? How do you feel before a medical procedure? How do you feel in these moments Uh, especially with a doctor like that inspiring confidence. How do you feel? Maybe it's something minor. Maybe it's just something routine. Or or maybe it's something big. Maybe it's your heart, your lungs, your back. In, In those moments of waiting, in that time of uncertainty, how do you feel? Some of us, there's, there's no concern at all. It is what it is. You're just going to go in and, and do the thing, and then you'll come out, and, and whatever happens. Um, others worry that there's going to be some kind of a freak accident. You're, you're going to be the one person that wakes up under anesthesia, right? Some of us are worried that, that the worst thing could happen uh, in our minds, that we're going to die. And others worry, what if it doesn't work? What if I lose independence? What if I become a burden? The question for us today is we're we're continuing this series thinking about every moment as holy, every moment in our lives. God has something to teach us. There is something about it that we can glorify God. Today we're going to be looking, how do we see the holiness in this moment leading up to a, a medical procedure or some sort of crisis or thing like that? And to do that, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're we're going to really focus on verses 16 through 18, uh, but we'll look at some more uh, before that as well. But before we read that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are wise and that you are with us. Be with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 3, you remember the story. The Jews have been taken as captives to Babylon. And while they were there in captivity, the king started looking for some people that might become part of his entourage of wise men. And we know that four of them stood out to become the king's advisors. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were given new names, names from this kingdom, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after some interaction with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, eventually what happened is the king decides that he is going to make a really 
big statue. Maybe he's thinking about this, this dream that he had where his kingdom was this kingdom of gold. And so he makes this statue, and it's 90 feet high, and it's nine feet wide. And he tells the people to worship. He basically sends out this, this herald who's going around, and the herald is basically saying, um, serve the Babylonian gods, worship this Babylonian statue, do all of this or else. Well, Daniel doesn't seem to be here for this part of the story. Maybe he's away on business. I don't know. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still there. And so the question that they're dealing with is, what will happen when three God-fearing Jews are told to break the first commandment? What are they going to do? We'll reread in uh, verses 12. We start reading that they, they haven't done it, and somebody has come and kind of ratted them out and brought them in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says this, beginning in verse 13, it says, Furious with rage... Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So here is their crisis. Here is this moment that they're facing. Not exactly a medical crisis unless you consider it that, uh, you know, living is part of being alive. Uh, But here they are in this crisis, in this moment. And in their response... In their response, we see some guidance for how we can respond in our own crises as we're facing these things. Look at what they say in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's a great thing to say to a king if you want to walk away alive, isn't it? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. When you are are facing some kind of procedure, when when you are are waiting for some kind of test result, when you know that there's something wrong and and it's going to have to be corrected, I don't know about you, but my first question is usually, can God get me through this? Can he do it? Now, this is a question we have to ask because we are finite right? You cannot do the procedure yourself. You cannot just sit there and through the sheer force of your will, make everything reorder and now it's fine. You can't, uh, you know, go to a mountaintop and meditate your way out of this. You cannot will the problem to go away. We are finite. We are dependent 
creatures. And so we have to depend on the doctor, but ultimately we have to depend on God to see us through. And these men, as they are facing this crisis, they say very confidently, they say, the God we serve is able to save us from this. God can do this. As faithful Jews, they knew their history. They knew their past. They knew their Old Testament. They knew how the book begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They knew who the God they serve is. The God of the universe. The God of all creation. The God who made them from dust. They knew God is able. God is able. He can get them through. You know, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is somewhat related to this, where Jesus, this is in Mark 9, Jesus is walking up and some of his disciples are having an argument with some of the scribes. And he, he walks up and he says, um, hey guys, what's, what's going on? What are you arguing about? And someone calls out from the crowd and he says, teacher, I brought my son to you because he has a spirit that makes him mute. When it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Well, Jesus asks him how long this has been going on, and he says it's been going on since he was a child. And then the father goes on, and he says, it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to try and destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds to that little statement that he makes, if you can. And Jesus looks at him and he says, if, if you can, you can imagine a little smile on his face as the God of the universe who was there at the beginning thinks about this problem. If you can. And then he says, all these things are possible for one who believes. And then this father wisely replies, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, whatever the procedure, whatever it is that's coming, God can get you through. He has the ability to do that. It is not a hard thing for him. And so we have to train our hearts to believe and ask for help with our unbelief. But see, once you come to accept that and come to realize God can get you through, that leads to the second question. Will God get me through it? Of course he can, but will he? These three men staring at the furnace, watching it get hotter and hotter and hotter, uh, may have been thinking the same thing. But look at what they say in verse 17. Look, they say, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. And then they say this, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. How can they say that? How can they say that without knowing? This furnace is hot, and after what they've said now, they are definitely going to get thrown into it. How can they say that? They say, God will deliver us. And they say, God will deliver us. Because they have seen it again and again in the past. They remember sitting at the table for Passover. 
sitting there with their family as they remember God's incredible deliverance of his people from Egypt. They remember sleeping outside in booths for Sukkot as they remember the time that they were in the wilderness. They remember the story of Jericho where God took down walls to a kingdom without even another stone being thrown. They remember stories about Samson, David, and Goliath. They remember all kinds of things that they have seen where God has delivered. Maybe they have their own stories where they can sit around and talk about things in their life and times in their life where where they saw their mother, their father, their cousin, their, their nephew, whoever it was, and they see God's deliverance again and again. And so remembering his past deliverance, they say, he will Deliver us again. He will get us through this. And I bet your family has stories too. Things that you can think of, that you can sit around, that you can talk about. Times when you have seen God's faithfulness. And if you don't have those stories or you can't think of that sto- those stories, that's okay. Because these stories are yours now too. Times where God has been faithful. And so tell yourself stories of God's faithfulness. Tell stories from your past, from your family, from Scripture, and remind yourself that every day that you wake up is a day that He has kept you. Every day that you have had two trillion cell divisions happen in your body and something hasn't gone wrong, God has been delivering you two trillion times a day. And when you get through something on the other side of it, Now you have a new story to tell, to add to that list, to add to the things that your family talks about when you remember God's faithfulness. Because as you remember his faithfulness, we know the answer to, will he get me through this, is always yes. But now you also know that it might not always look like you think it will. This is where we get into bargaining This is where we get into a lot of questions and a lot of things like that. And this is where we also begin to reveal a whole lot of idols in our lives. God, I will love you if you make it better. God, I will serve you if you make this thing go away. God, I I will love you and I will serve you if my back will just stop hurting. God, I, I will love you and I will serve you if you get me through this. And in that moment, what happens is is we can see how our hearts will elevate health and comfort and security as more important than God and how we begin to elevate things like that and we begin to define deliverance as having those things. This is where we have to trust in the clear teachings of Scripture that God didn't cause the problem, but he will make good come from it. Think about Romans 8.28, that wonderful promise that so many of us carry with us in our hearts, where Paul writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And and now we see, we see, um, if you think about the 11.5 million surgeries a year in the USA and over 86% success rate, you see that ordinarily... Ordinarily, God does bring people through something like that the way that they hope. But sometimes, God will take what the enemy means for harm. He will take that sickness, that disease, and that pain, and he will let us go through it. Why? 
to get rid of the dark spots on our heart. He will let us go through some things to get rid of something deeper, to change our character, to transform our hearts, to make us better in a place that we cannot see with a microscope. And in those moments, if that's you, and if you're going through that, you have a choice, as has been said, you can get bitter or you can get better. The men here who are staring at this furnace, they chose getting better. And so they look at this king and they say, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, but even if he does not, we will never serve anyone but him. They know. God has a plan and a purpose for each of us, and that includes our health, even when God is vague on the details. And if his plan takes them through the fire, then they will go through the fire. So what about us? What about us? Do I trust that God can get me through? Do I trust that God will get me through? Do I trust That like Romans says, that God can even use discomfort, pain, sorrow, disease to make my heart better. And will I trust him as I walk through the fire? And that leads me to the final question that I ask in things like this. What if I can't take it? What if it seems like too much? What if it is too much? What if everything that I've got runs out? What if I'm lying there in the hospital bed and they're telling me, I don't know when you're going to get out of here and I just have had it to my limit and there is nothing left that I have to give anymore. What about that? What if I can't take it anymore? Look at verses 25, reading through 27. Nebuchadnezzar, after throwing them in the fire, he says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, let's just do some math real quick. How many people went into the fire? So how many people should be in the fire? How many people are in the fire? Something has changed. This isn't some kind of crazy math curriculum here. Something has changed. There is a fourth one in there who looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar gets closer and they they open up the furnace and he shouts into their Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so they come out of the fire and everyone crowds around them. And it says this in verse 27, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Here's the thing. When you're asking that question, what what if I can't take it? What if I run out of everything? You probably will. If you're in there long enough, if the procedure's hard enough, if recovery goes long enough, you will probably run out of what you have to give. But that's okay. Because you're not alone. See, I, I bet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I bet they were surprised to be in the fire and be alive. But I bet they were even more surprised that they weren't alone. God was there. He was with them. And they saw it where? Outside 
when everything was comfortable, when, when everything was fine? They saw, it, they saw it where? When they were talking to the king? No, where did they see God was with them? In the fire. It happens in the fire. Whatever happens, whatever, whatever it is, medical procedure, a condition, a crisis, whatever it is, whatever you're going through, whatever you anticipate, even if God doesn't deliver you the way that you think, remember that you are not alone. Jesus is in the fire with you, and he was there before you, and he is with you in that fire, and he will not leave When you lose heart, when you feel scared, when you feel weak, when you feel empty, he is with you. And if you belong to Christ, his Holy Spirit is inside of you. And someday, someday we know that when you appear before him in glory, no hair will be singed on your head and not even the smell of the fires of hell will cling to you. He is with you all the way through. He is with you. So remember, whatever you're facing now, whatever you might face later, God can get you through it. He will get you through it. And even if he doesn't do it in the way that you expect or even the way that you want, he will always be with you to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are able. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for this story. This is our story. And it is a story of your faithfulness. And we thank you for it. God, I ask that in each of our hearts, you will reassure us that you can get us through whatever it is we face, that you will get us through it. And that even though it doesn't always look like we expect, that we know that you are with us. Lord, I pray especially for those of us as part of this family who are in the hospital. Lord, I pray for those who are, are facing their own procedures, who are facing uh, uh, waiting for tests, fear and uncertainty. God, reassure them of your presence. And Lord, as we walk into the fire, let us remember your promise from Isaiah that you are with us that it will not overtake us, and that no matter what happens, you are there. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand if you are able as we continue to sing?